0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we return once again to verses 24 through 28. Uh, We will be considering, last week we, we focused mainly on verse 24, And we will consider uh, the entire text this morning. Again, that's Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask now for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. O Father, how we do pray that you would grant us the grace to see the wisdom and the goodness of this exhortation of your Son. For Lord, we know that with Christianity we are called to die. In the Gospel, we are called to give up ourselves for something greater than ourselves uh, Lord, we considered that last week. Help us now this week to see that it is wise to do so and put it in our hearts, O oh Lord, always to follow you, not to shrink back when we th- consider what we are called to in terms of our suffering, but rather to recognize that you have done far more for us than what we could ever uh, ever repay you or, or, or do for you. Uh, Lord, grant us this grace to uh, receive the word of God humbly as it is preached, even as the apostle Paul is exhorted. In Second Timothy four, Lord grant, grant, O oh Lord, that you would that you would advance your kingdom, that you would sanctify your name, that you would cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through the preaching of your word, for we do ask this in the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, uh, last week we looked at Christ's very famous call to everyone who would follow him to deny themselves, to pick up their crosses and to follow him. And you'll remember that this comes immediately after Christ's prediction of his own death. Uh, you'll remember that further, that Matthew's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, everything in the beginning of the gospel is building towards this, this great and climactic confession of faith that Peter makes in chapter 16. And then there is this, this massive shift so that everything becomes focused on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that with regard to Christ's first prediction of his own death, Just how shocking it would have been that immediately after Peter makes his confession and says, you know, I I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ even tells him you are blessed uh, because this has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. He even says great, great and glorious things about the church which will be built on the foundation of the apostles. And yet the very next thing that is said is that this great and glorious Savior must die this great and glorious Savior must give up his life and be put to death by ungodly men. Then, uh, probably equally shocking, is that the disciples who are expecting the Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God to bring in this glorious kingdom, not only is it the case that Christ is going to die, but then also it is not going to be the case that his followers are going to be able to follow him into glory and without any fear of persecution or suffering, this kingdom is going to be established. No, what Christ says is, I am going to die. And if anyone, if anyone wants to follow me, he must also die. He must pick up his cross and follow me. He says, I am going to the cross. I am going to the cross. And if you are to, to follow me, you have to recognize You are following me to the cross. Uh, What we understand from this is that we are called as Christians. If we are to be Christians, the cost for being a Christian is to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw how uh, in many cases this is not directly a call to martyrdom, Uh, Though we must recognize that this has been the call for many in the history of the church, and it may be the call for any of us. It certainly includes the call to be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ if we are called upon to do so. Further, it's important to recognize that as we think about the cost of following Christ, that it is rising in this country, that as the persecution against Christianity, the opposition to Christianity uh, increases, so too then the cost of following Christ increases. But regardless even of that, or our own context, uh, Christ always calls every believer in every age who will follow him to live a life of self-sacrifice where they give up their lives for the sake of something bigger than themselves, namely, for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are called to give up your life and to be devoted first and foremost to the glory of God. And the point is that you must be willing to sacrifice anything to this end. That, that is the calling that Christ makes. It is to be reflected in every area of your life, giving up yourself for the sake of the salvation of others and for the sake of the glory of Christ. And in this way, uh, your suffering is, as the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, why would you do this? Why should you obey the exhortation that is given in verse 24. If the call is to die, that's a very serious thing, and it at least leads to uh, the question, at least to consider, should I actually pick up my cross? If following Christ means a life of death, of denying myself fully, and following Christ in a way that is basically guaranteed suffering, why should I do it? Is it actually the case that I should? Now, in answering this question, should I do it? Why should I do it? There can be many reasons that are given. The point of verses 25 through 28 in this text is to give some of them. And the point that Christ is making in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28, is that there, there's an exhortation and there's a reason why you should obey. And the point that Christ is making is that it is actually the wisest thing that you can do. He says, "Pick up, pick up your cross and follow me. It is shocking to consider. It's shocking to to think that Christ, the eternal Son of God, must die. It may be shocking to hear that you as a Christian must also follow him in this life of suffering. But then what Christ says is that as strange as it may seem when you first hear those words, that actually it is much better, not just even for others. Obviously, if you're giving up your life for someone else, it's going to be better for that person. You lay down your life for a friend. The friend benefits from your sacrifice. What Christ is saying here is that it is better for you. It is better for you if you lay down your life for Christ, it's not just better for others. It's not just better for Christ. It is the wisest thing that you can do. You are actually giving up a benefit. If you hear this call to pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, I am actually going to live for myself. That is, that is an unwise and foolish thing to do. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ is, is speaking of here in verses 25 through 28. Now, This is, again, as we've seen all throughout the scriptures, but is certainly the case here as well, this kind of message is radically different from what the world teaches. Uh, The world today, particularly in our country, people are often talking about things like uh, taking care of yourself, working on yourself, focusing on yourself for a change rather than focusing on others, learning to love yourself, pursuing your own dreams. These are just some of the kind of catchphrases that are out there today. They are said uh, very often uh, by very many people. And not only that, it is considered a morally good and right thing. Like it is a, it, you know, there is an encouragement to you. You should work on yourself and that sort of thing. All in, all, those sorts of things. Uh, it's a very common thing. But what this text is actually teaching is that you must, rather than doing all those things, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself if you are a Christian. And it is actually not wise to merely do things like work on yourself take care of yourself focus on yourself for a change learning self-love those are that is not the path of wisdom the path of wisdom is actually to deny yourself because when you give up your life for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ it is then that you will find your life and the reason this is actually the case the reason it is the case that giving up your life for Christ is actually a wise thing to do is because of eternity. If you take into account that there is more to this life than merely this life, then surely the exhortations of the world begin to seem like foolishness. Why would I live for this life if there is more to this life than this life? Now, if the world is right and that there is only this life, then everything that the world makes perfect sense. Let us eat and let us drink for tomorrow we die. But brothers and sisters, as God has, as it teaches in the scriptures, placed eternity in our hearts, we know that there is more. Every person knows that that there is more, even as he knows that there is a God. And in light of that reality, what Christ is saying is that if you give up your life and you say, I'm not going to live for the things of this world, you are actually making the wisest decision because if you lay down your life for me, then you will find it. Now, there are a series of things that Christ says here in verses 25 through 28, and it's important to understand how each, all of these statements work together. There's basically two ways of understanding uh, how all of these statements work together. Um, it could either be that there is a, so there's a main exhortation, that's very clear from verse 24, you are to pick up your cross and follow Christ. And then there are a number of things that Christ says after this, and they're typically in the form of rhetorical questions, there are some statements. And the question is, is... Um, Are all of these other statements in verses 25 through 28, are they meant to equally support the main exhortation? So the idea would be is that Christ says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, and that there are then three or four reasons of why you are to do that. That could be one way of understanding the text. The other way of understanding the text is that each statement builds on the previous one. So rather than there being three or four equal reasons for why you are to pick up your cross and follow him, there is... The first rhetorical question teaches you why you are to pick up your cross. The answer is because whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Why are, you, why are you to do that? Why are you to think that that's worth, worth it? Because of the next statement, and so on and so forth. And I think that that second understanding is better. So just to give a, before we get into the text in a little bit more detail give an overview of what this text is saying. So there is the exhortation why you are to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Christ. Why should you deny yourself? Why should you do that? The answer is because giving up your life for Christ will make you blessed. Why why does it make you blessed? Because there is nothing more valuable than your soul and there's nothing that you can give in exchange for it. Christ offers blessings that will affect your entire being and your entire life. And then the next question would be, why should I see this soul as valuable? The answer is because Christ is coming to judge the world on the last day, and he will give blessings and punishment according to these principles. How do I know that the judgment will come? Because there are some who are standing before Christ who would not taste death before they saw some sort of confirmation of this coming. Every statement builds on the previous one, and all of it is meant to show that the one exhortation, pick up your cross and follow Christ, that that is the wisest thing you can do. That it's actually very foolish not to, to do that. So what we're going to do then is we're going to look at this passage just under those headings. We're going to look uh, just under uh, using four headings for each of these verses as we work through uh, the, uh, the, uh, each of the, the, the questions or statements that Christ says uh, as they all build on each other. Now, I've I've mentioned the first one several times at this point in verse 25, but notice notice the word for. It's connecting back to the reason why you are to to, uh, pick up your cross and follow Christ. For everyone who desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The idea here is that you will actually be blessed. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you try to save your life, you will be cursed because you will lose your life. If, however, you heed this exhortation... It's not just going to be good for others. It will actually be good for you. Now, this seems completely paradoxical and uh, is just in line with many of the shocking statements that Christ has said to this point with regard to uh, what Christ is going to do. He's going to be the Christ. He's going to be the one to die. Now all of his followers are going to, to die. And then the justification for why you are to do this is because if you die, you'll be blessed. Uh, all of it seems backwards, and yet it is not. And the reason, again, it is not backwards is because of the principle of eternity. If you cannot see eternity, everything seems foolish. But the moment you realize that there is such a thing as eternity, that that, that you will have a place in it, then all these things seem to make sense. There's even something of of a, of a help that we get from Christ's own prediction of his own death in verses 21 through 23, where you remember that when Christ predicts his own death, he doesn't merely predict his own death. He actually says, I will die. So suffer many things. You know, the, 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 uh, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief the describes, be killed and be raised the third day. So with, with the prediction of Christ's own death came also a prediction of his own resurrection. The idea is that Christ is saying, I am going to die and then I'm going to be raised. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to enter in this sense into eternity. I'm I'm going to have everlasting life. I'm going to die and then I'm going to be raised. Now Christ is saying something similar with regard to his followers. His followers must also give up their own lives for him. And if they do, they will find their own lives. How how could it be that you could give up your own life and then still consequently find it? Well, the answer is the same as the way it happens with, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be raised from the dead. You'll be raised from the dead. The resurrection life, the the blessings of resurrection life is the thing that is being held out. If you lay down your life for Christ, then you, like him, will also be raised from the dead. If he's going to the cross, you're following him. He's, He's picked up his cross. He's going to the cross. He goes to the cross and then dies and then is raised from the dead. If you pick up your cross and follow him, you will also die, but then just like him, you will follow him in the resurrection. And therefore... If you give up your life for Christ, then you'll be blessed. If, however, you try to save your life and say, I will not give up my life for Christ, then you will lose your life and you also will have forfeited the blessings of resurrection life. And therefore, what Christ is saying is that it is wise to heed this exhortation and to pick up your cross and follow him. Now, is it, the case, is it the case, however, that you should privilege in your thinking this future life over the current life? What if a person were to say, okay, life is offered to me then and now. I can either live for my life now and then die or I can die and then, and then have life later. Who's to say that the life now is better or worse than the life later? Is it is it actually the case that this life that is being offered to me, this resurrection life, that it is actually better? Should I should I privilege and think that it is a, a greater blessing to receive this later life than the current life? Well, Christ addresses this in verse 26 where he says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what or what will a person a man give in exchange for his soul. The idea here is that you could try to live for for this life, you can try to acquire the things of this life, but everyone intuitively knows that death in the end will remove the ability for you to to receive and and benefit from the blessings of this life. And if you gain everything and then die, clearly, then clearly, that's not a blessed life. That that's not that's not that's not blessed. If 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 death is going to be the great thing that will cause all of the things of this life to cease in terms of your ability to enjoy them, then, then surely life itself is going to be worth more than the things of this life. Surely the, the, the life that is coming then would, would be better if the offer is that you will be raised to life never to see death again. There's nothing in this world that could be better than, than that. There's nothing that could make up for the life that you, uh, that, that you would otherwise have. Now, one of the things that's important to, to note about the, the text is the meaning of the word soul and life. Um, a lot of times in English translations in this text, uh, verse 25 is translated as life, as it is here, and then verse 26, the word is translated as soul. Now, in in the original, the word is the same in, ver, in both verses 25 and 26, and, and I think the, the idea is that there's we're meant to see a continuity between these two ideas, and um, The idea here in the Word is it's, it's like the entirety of your being, including your life, your soul, all of it. And what Christ is saying is if you lay down yourself fully for Christ... If you lay down yourself fully, then you will you will once again find that same life. You will have have your soul saved, and the same thing is being said here in verse 26. What is a prophet, a man, if he gains the whole world and he uses loses his own soul? It does it does mean soul, but it's soul life, the entirety of your being. The idea here is that there is this this inherent decision that you have. You can either live for the things of this world, or you can live for this life which is to come. And the point that that Christ is making is that if you live for the things of this world if you live for the things of this world then what you're saying is that you're implicitly saying by your actions that the things of this world are more valuable than my own life and existence because I will have them and then I will die and yet I had the opportunity to give them up and have my life but what Christ says is that and uh, he says it in two ways that there is simply nothing that is as valuable as your life there's simply nothing nothing that is as valuable as your soul. Uh, and we intuitively know this as well. I mean, you, you think about the people who have gained uh, so much in this world, who have been incredibly rich throughout all of history, who have had all the pleasures of this world, and yet death comes for them in the exact same way it comes for everybody else. And there's nothing that you can take into your next life and, and, and even um, in, in, into the life to come. And, and even Christ says this in a second way, just to, to hammer this home in another way, he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul or for his life? The idea is that it doesn't matter how many things you have acquired, there is simply, there is simply nothing, none of those things, it doesn't matter what it is, they, they, they do not stop the reality of death. What, what could you possibly give? When death comes, what will you possibly give? And if there is, therefore, this option, I can lay down my life and then find it, or I can try to save my life and I know it's going to be lost. What Christ is saying is not only is it, not only is it an offer to follow me, but he's actually saying it is the only wise choice. The only wise choice is to lay down your life for Christ. Uh, now, how do you know that seeking after the things of this life will, in fact, lead to death? How do you know that the person who pursues the things of this life will even need to think about how to preserve his own soul. How how, how do you know that this is, in fact, the way that things work? The answer is given in verse 27. For, again, pick up on the last statement, for Christ is coming to judge. Christ is coming to judge. And therefore, nobody will be able to, to avoid the reality of this death. Nobody will be able to avoid it. You can't give anything in exchange for it. But also now, Christ is saying, as the one who will judge, that this is the criteria by which he will judge. He is giving you the warning ahead of time that you might receive the words and act wisely. Now, as an aside, it's important to note that here Christ is declaring himself to be the judge of the entire earth, which means that he is, in fact, God. Uh, this is a, 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 an implicit um, profession of his own deity. Uh, but in terms of the context, it's important then to note the significance. If Christ is the judge and there is a judgment, what he is saying is that every person, it is, it's the judge himself who is saying that every person who seeks his life will lose it and there is no possibility of escape if you do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There are therefore two options that lay before you. You can either follow Christ by dying to yourself or you can reject Christ to live for this life and the end result will be that Christ will come in judgment, having already given you the warning of how he's going to judge and he will judge you and remove your life and you will, you, will, you will go into what the scriptures call the second death. Those are the only two options. The person who rejects Christ may reason that he thinks that the things of this world are worth it, but Christ, however, is explaining nothing can be more valuable than your life And I am coming to judge, and I will deal out death and life according to these principles. The judge of the entire earth, who no man can escape. You cannot escape the judgment of God. These will be the principles by which I judge. That is what Christ is saying. And if, therefore, there is no escape, then the choice really is between wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly. There is wisdom on the one hand if you give up your life for Christ, and there is complete folly on the other. If you decide that you will live only for this life, what will it profit to you if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul, if you lose your life itself? How can you think that you will save your soul without following Christ when he himself is God and will judge the world on the last day? Now, this leads to the next question that you may ask, which is, is Christ really going to judge the world on the last day? How do I know that Christ will actually do this. And this is where the confirmation of the whole thing is given in verse 28, where Christ says, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The point here is that there's this, this train of thought that's been taken all the way from the beginning. And now we're at this, this point where we need to understand, is, is, there, is there something that God has done that Christ has given to us as a confirmation that he really will judge the world in righteousness. That we can know, we it's something we can see and we can say, surely everything he has said is true. He is going to judge the world Therefore, because my life is more valuable than anything in this world, the only wise thing to to do is to pick up my cross and follow him. The answer that he gives is that there are some who are standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That is to say, there is a sense in which Christ is coming as the Son of Man that is acting as a confirmation that on the last day, he will judge the world in righteousness. Now, What then does the coming of the Son of Man mean in this text? In verse 28. Uh, There have been many uh, proposals in terms of uh, the interpretation of the text. Uh, Some teach the transfiguration, others the resurrection. So, So the idea is that Christ came in his kingdom in the transfiguration or Christ came in his kingdom in the resurrection. Others, through the ingathering of the nations. Others speak about the destruction of Jerusalem and others speak about the second coming. So those are basically the options that are out there. Christ can either be referring to the transfiguration, the resurrection, the ingathering of the nations through the outpouring of the spirit and the preaching of the gospel, the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, or he could be speaking about his second coming. Now, which of these is Right. The answer is, in some way, and I think it is the way, all of them, all of them are in fact right. All of them are intended in the text. All are meant to show the coming of Christ in his kingdom in some way. Surely, the transfiguration should not be excluded from the meaning, Since the transfiguration, you'll note if you look in your Bibles, is the very next text. The, the, immediately after Christ says, some of you will not taste death until you see the, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, then Christ is transfigured as clearly what is a foretaste of that kingdom. Uh, so that, that clearly cannot be, uh, be excluded. The resurrection itself is of course pointing to the coming of Christ in his kingdom. Uh, Paul speaks about the resurrection being God's declaration that Christ is the Son of God in power. The author, author to the Hebrews everywhere speaks of Christ being raised from the dead to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The idea of him being seated at the right hand of the Father is that he is, he is ruling, he is coming uh, in his kingdom. The transfiguration is in some sense a prelude of the resurrection. He, Christ is given he gives a foretaste of the body that he will have when he is raised from the dead in all of its glory. As you can see, if you compare uh, Matthew 17 to Revelation 1, for instance. Uh, further, the rule of Christ is clearly seen in the gathering of the nations as a manifestation of the kingdom and its growth. Uh, Christ spoke of this in the in the parables of the kingdom in chapter 13. Uh, chapter 13, you um, remember Christ gives the many parables about the, the coming of the kingdom. Very many of them are uh, are in some way related to the ingathering of the nations. Paul speaks of the conversion uh, of of uh, of the unbeliever as a person being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love in Colossians chapter 1. So so clearly the gathering of the nations is related to the coming of Christ. And Christ prophesies later in all the Gospels of the destruction of Jerusalem. And in a parable tells the Pharisees that this destruction of Jerusalem will be the giving of the kingdom over to the Gentiles. The kingdom will be given over to to the Gentiles uh, because with the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, they will have been punished for the sin of putting the Lord Jesus Christ to death. The language in Matthew chapter 24 uh, shows that, that the destruction of Jerusalem is meant to be understood as a type and a prophecy of the second coming, and therefore all of these things are meant to point to the reality of the second coming, which is, of course, the consummation of the kingdom. Now, it's important to note with regard to this particular text that the consummation of the kingdom at the second coming of Christ is probably only secondarily in view, and that's because the purpose of verse 28 is to be the confirmation of the second coming, which is spoken of in verse 27. So the idea here is that Christ will come. He will return from heaven with all of the glory of his angels. That's the second coming. When he comes in judgment. And also, there were many who were standing with Christ who saw many evidences of this coming, of this kingdom, as a confirmation of that second coming wherein he will judge the world in righteousness. The point is is that It's not even just that Christ has given the exhortation that he's left you to to think through whether or not you believe that he'll actually come. He has shown through many things that he will judge the world in righteousness. As you you think about uh, what Paul says, Paul reasons the same way in Acts chapter 17 as he's preaching to those, the philosophers in Athens. And he says at at the end of his sermon, he says he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom, whom he has appointed. And he has given proof of this. The proof, confirmation that he will judge the world in this way by raising him from the dead. The idea is that if he's been raised from the dead, then he must come to judge the world in righteousness. The The resurrection is, is the the end time vindication of the Son of God. And if that is the case, then surely that end time vindication and, and judgment is going to come for all people. There is a, there's a relationship between Christ's resurrection and that last day. Which means it is foolish to think that Christ will not come. How do you know that Christ will come in his kingdom? Well, he's the one who has been transfigured into, into all of this glory, he's, who's had the voice from heaven bear witness to him that, that he is the son of God who must be listened to. He was the one that was raised from the dead and vindicated by God. And he is the one who did come in judgment on his people. He prophesied that he would come in judgment against the, the, the Jews for the destruction of the temple. And he did destroy that temple. The, 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 the judgment of the Jews on, in AD 70 is a sure sign that he will also judge the world in righteousness as he prophesied. The ingathering of the nations according to his own prophecy is a sure sign. You think of all throughout the history of this world. The world is in complete darkness and in the the, the, the worship of, of idols and images and false gods and whatever else. And it is only with the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit that then the world is now turned to worship the one true God. It cannot be denied that this is this is a coming of the kingdom of Christ. And if Christ has come in the kingdom in all these ways, such that many people have seen it, many, many people have seen it, then surely it cannot be doubted that Christ will judge the world in righteousness. And if He will judge the world in righteousness, then it is necessary to recognize that the only wise thing to do is to give up your life for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity only makes sense if you have a true sense of eternity. This is made perfectly clear in a number of passages. You think probably... um, most clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul says, you know, if there's no resurrection from the dead, we are above all men most to be pitied. And this is 100% true. If, if all we have is this life, then of course we're most to be pitied because we are the ones who have said we're giving up everything in our lives for the sake of Christ. We, we are banking everything on the reality of this resurrection because Christ really has been raised from the dead. Uh, this is the reason why it is so difficult for hypocrites to maintain their false profession throughout their entire life. Some are able to do it. Uh, but the, But um, the reason it's so difficult is because at some point it becomes clear that this only makes sense if God really exists and that if I really do believe in him, if I really do believe in the resurrection, if I don't really believe, wh- what am I suffering for? Why am I giving up my entire life for these things? Uh, all the reasoning, all, all, the, all the reasoning is sound, but it requires faith to act on it. It requires you to understand, as the author to the Hebrew says, that God is, he is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Brothers and sisters, Christianity does not ultimately promise great blessings in this life. There are great blessings in this life. God gives them to us. But ultimately, you are promised a life of suffering. You are promised a life of suffering, and you are told that the blessings, the ultimate blessings that really are being offered in the gospel, that they are the blessings of the life to come. And you are called upon to recognize that, to say, I am willing to give up my life, to walk by faith and not by sight. Even if I don't see the blessings in this life, even if my whole life is filled with suffering and anguish and sorrow and toil, I will yet maintain my faith in God because I know the promises are coming. Brothers and sisters, Abraham was promised an inheritance in the promised land. He lived in tents his entire life and never saw any of it. He never inherited the land. When will Abraham inherit the land? The answer is at the resurrection. Moses, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. He brings them to the edge of the promised land and dies. He dies at the edge of the promised land, never having been able to cross over the Jordan and get into that land. When will Moses cross over and get and, and receive the inheritance of the promised land? The answer is in the resurrection. Abraham will, will receive it then. He lived his entire life, he did not get it. Moses lived his entire life. He did not get it. Brothers and sisters, these were looking to the life to come in faith. They, as the author to the Hebrews says, were looking to the city with foundations, whose maker and builder is God. They were willing to give up everything because they recognize that God is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Brothers and sisters, this is what is being held out for you in the gospel. It is a life of death and suffering but it is followed by resurrection. It is followed by resurrection. Do not be deceived by the offer of blessings in this life. Turn to Christ and embrace the life of self sacrifice. For, as the Lord Jesus Christ teaches here, it is the only wise course. Let's pray. Oh, Father. How we do thank you, that you have not left us in the dark with regard to these things, we think of the foolishness of the world, and we, we, we know, but for the grace of God, there we would go as well, uh, Lord, we know that there are so many who are running after the pleasures of this world, only to find that they are meaningless and empty, only to find that there is nothing substantive in them in them Lord, we, we, we know as we sing in the hymn very often, that solid joys and lasting treasures none. But Zion's children know, Lord, how we do pray that you would grant us the grace to see this, that we would see that, that whatever else the call to, of the gospel may be, that it is the only wise choice to embrace it and that it is foolishness to deny it, even if the calling is difficult. And Father, we, we do know that the calling is difficult. We recognize our own weakness. O Lord, grant us the grace, the strength to follow Christ well, to endure suffering and affliction, and to do so, O Lord, with faith in you. For we do ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. Cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, There's a great need for the light of the gospel to shine particularly in this place uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.